Thank you, Herb. Anybody uh, watching the Olympics? None, a little bit. Rudy is, yeah, Swiss skiers are looking pretty good. Yeah, that's very good. Well, I, I've been watching a little bit more than I have in recent years, but uh, I've, I've got a bit of a theory. I think the Norwegians are cheating. <laughs> How does a country of 5 million people have like 26 medals and totally putting everybody else in their dust? I don't, I don't get it, but uh, it is a cold place in Norway, I, so I'm told. Uh, it's really interesting, though, uh, with sports, especially around the Olympics, to watch... Uh, the various different sports all kind of grouped together, things like ice skating and snow skiing and the half-pipe snowboard. It's just amazing to watch. And one of the things that always captures my attention is just what people can do with their bodies because I'm jealous. And uh, I, I'm like, well, I wish I could do that. I, I wouldn't even have the courage to even attempt half the stuff they're doing because uh, I would kill myself if I did. Uh, but uh, it's really interesting, you know, sometimes watching some of the, like the men's giant swallow was on yesterday. And it's just this breakneck downhill course and you're going around these gates all the way down and it's furious in, in the, how they do it. Sometimes the way they, they watch it on TV, you get a bird's eye view uh, and you can't appreciate some of their body positions. Uh, but when you see some of the photographs that are stills, I mean, they're going around these gates and they're literally about an inch off the ground. They're like laying sideways and their skis are way out here. It defies gravity and it's, it defies physics but they stay and they somehow get upright and they turn and go on the other gate and it is amazing and figure skaters the same way on and on it goes and it's just uh, really uh, impressive the way they can hold the positions and, and position their bodies and um, I want to brace you, this is a bit of a rough transition. <laughs> We're talking about prayer today, <laughs> not, not athletics. But sometimes when, when prayer and we, we approach prayer, we, we sometimes focus on, on certain postures that we think are important for us, uh, but some often they can lead us to miss the, the bigger point of prayer. And here's what I mean, is that there are times when, when we may begin to think that somehow a certain body posture is going to help uh, enhance my prayer life. Not, not saying that it's, it's bad or incongruent with it. However, we can think that if, if, uh, if I close my eyes and kind of scrunch up my nose and really uh, physically try to be intense in my prayer, that somehow that, that's going to communicate something more to God. Or we talk with our kids and about, you know, why do we, why do we close our eyes when we pray? Or why, why is that maybe a good idea? And we talk about how, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us when you, when you pray, you must close your eyes and fold your hands. And, but we talk about how that helps at times to eliminate distractions because it's about engaging our inner life with God. It's not about the, the physical position. Sometimes you might think that if I get down on my, my knees, then I, it really amplifies uh, the seriousness of my prayer. Sometimes we get caught up in sort of what I call um, lip posture and thinking that, well... If I'm going to pray a prayer that's authentic and that God will really hear, then I've got to say the right words, and I have to say them with the right intonation, and they have to be in the right order and sequence, or else somehow maybe my prayers aren't quite going to make it beyond the roof line and onto the ear of our living God. And so we can begin to miss the point of what praying is about, and uh, we, we focus on some of the postures instead of focusing on the heart posture, the posture of your heart before the Lord. And what does it mean for you to, to come to God in prayer with a heart that is open and soft and inclining toward God? 
It's not to say these other things are, are not good. In fact, they can be quite beneficial, but that is not the point. The point is that physical posture or just saying the right words or with the right frequency and then the right orders, that's not at all what prayer is intended to be. The right heart posture allows us to approach God and for us to appreciate the character and nature of who God is. And it is so important because if your concept of God is one of a harsh taskmaster type person, then you're, it's going to affect the way you approach God as this demanding, uh, never satisfied type of being. If you approach God as, as a relational being who has extended and expressed His love for you and the fact that Jesus would come into the world and die for you, for you, and you approach God in that way, that's going to affect the way that your heart is postured before God and the way that you enter into a relational quality and characteristic with God. Meaningful prayer can elude us at times because we can focus... Sometimes on one end is sort of focusing on ourselves, and I think that's probably for many in our modern day perhaps the, the biggest difficulty, is that when we pray, sometimes our prayers can be so self-centered, there's really no room at times to allow God to actually work in our lives. Um, or we, all we're focused on, I guess, more so, is, is just, God, this is what I need. I need you to solve this problem. This is a difficulty I'm having. Come and meet me in this. And that can become the whole centerpiece of all of our prayer. It just becomes a me-focused idea. The other pole is coming to God in prayer that's completely devoid of bringing myself to prayer. And that, that's equally poor in the sense of, of prayer life. And so uh, Tim Keller, in his book titled Prayer, encourages us to think about the dual aspect of communion. We bring ourselves to God in prayer, but also the kingdom of God. We're focused on the things that are important to God while we bring our lives before this loving being. And it's so important that we do both because paying attention or praying to God without a willingness to let Him develop you and to be with you. It's kind of like, have you ever tried to go out and water the ground by pouring water over the cement? Of course, that's absurd. Because the water just runs off the cement and it won't ever absorb or it gets evaporated away. And if we approach God in prayer in a similar way where we're not bringing our whole heart and our whole life to Him... The idea of God infusing and penetrating and seeping into our life is severely hindered and limited. Today we get to turn, as we open our Bibles to Luke chapter 11, we get to turn to the one who knows a thing or two about prayer, and it is Jesus. The disciples come to Him one day and they say, Would you... Jesus, teach us how to pray. I can almost imagine that they've been overhearing Jesus pray. They, uh, they would watch Him go off by Himself and probably eavesdropping a little bit. Wouldn't that be so cool? To actually eavesdrop and hear what are the things Jesus prays about. Uh, John um, 17 gives us a great picture of some things that Jesus uh, prays for. But here they come and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus offers an example and, and a method for prayer that is so helpful and still a guiding way for us today. Let's read together Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, 
teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples, Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Now let's pause there for a minute. You, you may be thinking, well, that feels like it's leaving some things out uh, from the more familiar passage. Matthew also has this prayer in his gospel, and it has a few extra uh, bits to it. But Luke captures uh, the main essence of the prayer and the main points here. Um, so don't, don't be uh, concerned about that. Verse 5, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me. And I have nothing to set before him. Then the one on the inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Living God, this is our prayer today, is to be like the disciples and to be taught again how to pray, to be reminded of the beauty of prayer and how our prayers might be structured so that they bring balance to our lives and balance in our approach to You and life, life, bring life to us. Nurture us in Your presence and Spirit. We pray today now, Jesus, Amen. Amen. He, uh, Jesus gives some aspects to prayer. There's three of them here that He specifically mentions. The first is, is to focus. When you, when you come to God in your private praying, and it's good when we come to God together in our prayers together, whether in a Bible study or if you're praying with a friend or uh, even in our worship services, that we, we focus early and often on the person and, person, uh, the person and purpose of God. To focus on the person, the character, who is God? And why do we pray to Him? Because that will, that will give so much shape to the way you pray. It will give so much shape to your posture of your heart when you come to God. It's about learning what is important to God. It's about learning to pray the things that are also important to God. It's about taking ourselves and putting ourselves in the Scripture, and that's why the Bible is so important in forming our prayers, because our, our words to God need to be informed with the Word of God. So the Bible should be shaping your life and heart so that as you pray, the Scripture becomes or flows out of you as well, because you're learning that which is important to God, and you, that begins to be reflected in your prayers. That helps you not be self-centered so much in our praying, but it also prevents us from being devoid of ourselves. It's about bringing balance in this respect before the Lord. Dallas Willard has one sentence about prayer to describe it. He says, prayer to God 
is intelligent conversation about matters of mutual concern. Prayer to God is intelligent conversation about matters of mutual concern. You see, if you trust that God really loves you and cares about your life and the details of your life, then the things that concern you also will concern Him. So one aspect of our prayer, praying and our prayer life is to focus on the person, the character of God and the purposes of God. And then a second part we find in verse 3, and it's about contentment. It's not just about provision and that God provides for us, although that's an important facet of it, but it's about learning contentment in our life from God. Here's what Jesus says. He says, give us each day our daily bread. That is about so much more than just not being hungry. It's about living in a world like you and I do today that continue, continuously overwhelms us with messages that tell you that, that things aren't quite finished or complete, that, that what you have is not quite enough, that you need more or you need better. And so we, we live in this world, in this day, where we're so inwardly discontented with our lives. We become discontented with what we have, and we can become discontented in our marriages, and discontented with um, the, the actions of our children, and discontented with our jobs. And, and God calls you and me in our prayer life as we allow Him to seep into us, He calls us to learn contentment. When the Apostle Paul gives that great verse about, um, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You know, often you'll hear people pull that verse out in the midst of difficulty and challenges because it's a bolstering, it it helps bring strength, and, and I believe that God is with me moving forward. But the context where that particular verse is written it says, Paul is saying, it's all about contentment, contentment in life. He says, I've, there have been seasons in my life where I've had a lot, and there have been seasons in my life where I've not had very much at all. But I've learned a secret that God alone can provide. And this is the secret. He said, I've learned the secret of being content because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So, when you feel in your spirit, and there at times God will give you this sort of a spiritual discontent, which is good, that, that kind of drives and pushes you towards spiritual growth, but there are other types of discontentment in you that you have to learn in your life with the Lord the difference that it is, it is fleshly discontent that is not of God. And it drags your life down rather than allowing God to blow wind into your sails. It, it sucks the wind right out of you. That's not godly contentment. God desires for you to be content. My friend Creston Freustad was here uh, to help us kick off the Lenten season on Wednesday. And as she described things like prayer and other spiritual disciplines, this is what she said. She says that these are for us to provide an opportunity to take our hands off of the world and the world's hands off of us. So it's an opportunity as we begin to grow in contentment because of who God is and the life that He's called us to and the kingdom into which we have been called. God invites us to know that the world begins to take its hands and its demands off of us. The demand for more. 
The demand for better. The demand to keep up with your neighbor. The demand to feel discontent with your house. The demand, all of those things so often are not from God and they're the result of a discontented life. Give us, God, this day our daily bread. Verse 4. I I describe this as the freedom to truly love. This is the third and final part of the structure for prayer. It's the ability to to be free to truly love. Jesus says it this way, Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Forgive us our sins. You know, forgiveness, the forgiveness of God is learning to embrace the love of God. And when God's forgiveness comes to us, it is also intended to go through us. When the forgiveness of God comes to you, it also is intended to go through you. There's so much written in the New Testament about the relationship between our receiving the grace and forgiveness of God and our extending that grace and forgiveness to other people. You see, when we come to Jesus and in regular prayers, we are shaped to recognize the love of God and the forgiveness He's given so that you and I are free to love the people in our lives. We are free to extend the forgiveness that we have tasted into other people's lives, deserving or not, whether they ask for it or not. It becomes that which flows naturally out of you because your heart is being shaped in a posture that allows you to love God and to love others rightly. The, the setting here is more of a courtroom. It's not a courtroom, but it's more of a family setting. It's a, a room gathered in the family room with parental love so that the relationship uh, between child and father won't be spoiled because of sin. Um, when I was, I don't know, about 20 years ago or so, my mom had come to a place where she was going to sell my childhood home. It was the house I spent age 4 to 18 in, and it was the right time for her to do this. And So she was about, she was getting the house ready, right? She had kind of left my bedroom, the room that my brother and I had shared for a lot of years, pretty much had left it untouched after I, I was the baby of the family, moved out, and so she had lived in the house for quite a few years. So there's no reason really to go in after I'd cleared all my clothes out and so she's going in. There's still pictures and posters on the wall and stuff. And so she gives me a call one day. And she said, Bryce, do you know anything about this hole in the wall? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> uh, right behind, As our door opened, it was a perfect hiding spot. The, the door would open and right behind the wall behind the door, my brother and I one day were playing Nerf basketball and he gave me a hip check like this and my hip went right into the wall. Left a hole about yay long and about yay wide. And, uh, you know, like very tender, repentant children, we ran and confessed that to our mom. No. We looked for the right size poster and we tacked it over that hole in the wall and there it sat for probably 15 years. Unseen, unnoticed. And here my mom, she... You know, I grew up pretty poor and just didn't have a lot of extra money. And so the thought of even patching a wall was a big deal for us. Uh, Bless her heart. I I may have sent her some money just to make peace. But, uh, you know, as as we now grew up and, you know, what what are you going to do at that point? Uh, But there was a a part of my life that was was fearful of fessing up to the things. So I, 
I wanted, I was more content with sort of covering over the problem I had created rather than fessing up to it. You see where I'm going here? That there's a real challenge for a lot of us spiritually that as we come to God in prayer, instead of seeking confession, you, Jesus reminds us in this, this idea of how important the role of ongoing confession is in our spiritual growth. Because what we're tempted to do, what I'm tempted to do, is to, I see my sin and it looks at me and it laughs at me and it tells me you're going to be embarrassed or ashamed. And so my temptation, and many of your temptation, I'm sure, is to cover it over rather than to fess up to it. There was another opportunity I had when I was young with my mom. She, again, when we, we bought a new piece of furniture, a new couch, and um, that was a big deal for us. <laughs> and it was, it was a lovely couch. And, of course, we had some new rules with the way we treated this new piece of furniture, right? Um, and it had this great upholstery, and the arm was upholstered right up to the, the end here, and this was a big piece of wood. Beautiful, glazed, stained, all of that, shiny. And my mom threatened us, you know. <laughs> you boys, my brother and I, you better not mess this up. <laughs> and so I, I got this new robot thing, toy, I still remember. It had this, like, light uh, red eyes or something. And I remember playing with it, and somehow I turned around and accidentally whacked that thing and left a big dent in it. And I'm like, oh, no. What am I going to do? Where's a poster that I could put over this? (laughs) But, of course, there is none. And so I hoped and I hoped. I hope Mom doesn't see it. Maybe she won't. Of course, that day, she's like, boys... (laughs) <laughs> Who did this? Like I did. But in that moment, was that hard to fess up? Of course it was. Did I like doing it? No. Did I want the trouble that was coming my way? Of course not. Did I want to disappoint my mom? Of course I didn't. But it was so freeing in that moment to just simply fess up to it rather than to try to cover it over or to pretend it didn't, it didn't happen Because in the long run, covering things over becomes much harder for us because it remains in us and it becomes this drag on our souls. And God wants to free us from that. But we run from the very aspect that will free us from the cleansing and healing He wants for us. And so we struggle with confession. That's why the book of James tells us to confess our sins to each other so that we might know what healing is. And we in our lives today, in our Protestant life, in our Baptist life, that's a weird concept for us. Because we don't quite know, well, how, how do you confess your sin to somebody? That's odd. But that's the word, really, that God has laid on my heart for this these weeks leading up to Easter. And I don't know what that might mean to you, if anything at all. Part of the prayer that Jesus gives us as a model to pray is to pray for the person and purpose of God. Father, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. It is to pray for uh, contentment and to learn to walk with God, to be contented in Him. Give us this day our daily bread. And it's learning to, to actively engage in confession where we're able to identify and willing to wrestle with our own sinfulness and being able to say, God, forgive me my sins. 
because I'm also forgiving other people. We're not asking God to forgive because we're doing it, but my forgiveness of others is a demonstration that I know what it is to be forgiven. And when you know how you are forgiven, it becomes so much easier to forgive others. That's part of our calling in the Lord. That's part of what shapes our prayer, is trusting that God will not only invite us to, to confession, and it's not just words of confession, it's not just, God, I'm okay, I did this, it was wrong. It's about confession with repentance. Confession literally means I agree with you, God, about whatever the issue is. Repentance is your work with God to turn away from that so that you create new patterns and habits in your life so that these areas of your life don't become strongholds and repeated patterns over and over again. That's the life. It's confession with repentance. You see, that that's the difference between just speaking words that someone said I should say and talking to God from my heart and knowing that I'm allowing Him and His presence and Spirit to seep into my soul. Do you have today an area of your life or a relationship where forgiveness is not present? It's being withheld for some reason? Maybe it's not, not your, your part, but it's, it's there. How would God want you to do that? The reason I, I, I'm focusing on this idea of heart posture is because the example Jesus gives of, you know, in this first century Middle Eastern world, the idea of, if you had a traveler come by and knock on your door, hospitality requirements were that you you would do whatever you needed to welcome them into your home. And so what Jesus is commending in this little, kind of an odd little passage, he goes to his neighbor and says, give me some bread, I've got to take care of my, my guests. No, no, we're already in bed, go away. Give me some bread, give me some bread, I've got to take care of my guests. I told you the doors are locked. Give me some bread, I've got to take care of my guests. Okay. That's what's being commended, is this persistence, this ongoing boldness to come to God in prayer. Literally, it's a lack of sensitivity to what is proper. It's saying in my heart and my spirit, it doesn't matter what other people think of me. I'm bringing my whole life and my whole heart before the Lord to pray. Because I know that I can't just... I know focusing only on myself is not good, but never focusing on myself in prayer is equally bad. So I want to bring my whole life so God can seep into me. It's a carelessness about the good opinion of people. It's being shameless, in a sense, in our prayers to God. Because what becomes most important to you and me is not what other people think about me. It's about my standing with God and my ongoing growth in Him. That's what, he, that's what you will delight most in. So I encourage you, don't run from that or turn from it. That's part of the reason I've invited you to consider doing this Easter project with us. We, uh, this is the email that went out last week. It has an attachment to a PDF document. We'd be happy to send this. If you didn't get it, I'll, I'm going to resend it this week. If we don't have your email, uh, write it down on the card and leave it uh, either on your pew. We'll pick it up. And uh, what this is, it's a single document. You can bookmark it in your, your web browser. And the idea is that every day you pick a partner and you come back to this, and it's just a picture and a Bible verse 
and a reflection question. And uh, the, the, the hope is that uh, a lot of us, most of us, might take with a friend and just via text or a phone call or get together once a week for coffee, but every day find a way of touching base and just saying, this is what was meaningful about this particular passage. And it will allow us to have an opportunity to, to extend and perhaps deepen some relationships with one another. We're going to send this out again. If you didn't get the first email, make sure you write your email down on the visitor card. Leave it on your pew, and we'll be happy to get this out to you uh, this week. Because we want to help encourage you in the season leading up to Easter to be prayerful together. To be inviting other people into praying with you and for you in your life. And, and to be in a relationship, at least one relationship in, in this church that you can begin to actually open your life to someone else in some ways so that you can be loved and learn to love each other in return. So, many of you may already be doing it in other ways, but uh, just want to encourage you and remind you that that's an opportunity. Um, it just starts with day one, so you didn't have to start on Wednesday. You can start really any time. And the challenge is this. You've got your little insert today. And again, the challenge is that if, if you haven't yet had the opportunity to begin, try not to go to bed tonight without reaching out to somebody and saying, would you be willing to do this with me? I've been doing it with Rudy. The last I, I failed him yesterday. So we're not going to be perfect in it. But for three days this week, we just sent texts back and forth. And, and it, we're just kind of getting a little traction in it. And, and it's been, been really good. And I'm looking forward to the, the 37 more days or so that we have together. Yeah, I know. You're going to get tired of me. But that, that's the hope. So you, you didn't have to start Wednesday. You can start today. But our hope is that if you aren't doing something like that, where you're regularly coming before God, and then you have a, a relationship of some quality, or at least stepping toward that with somebody else, we're hoping to help facilitate that for you, and we hope you'll participate in it. I think it's time to pray. What do you think? God, we uh, thank you for this reminder about prayer. Thank you, God. I know there. There's so many other things the Bible says about prayer. There's so many other ways of praying, intercession, and, and on down the list. So many books, good books, have been written about praying. May God help us to at least start with what the Master Jesus has taught us about prayer. The one who had mastered prayer, what a, I don't know of a better place to start than where He guided us. Help us to focus on Your name being hallowed and Your kingdom coming. We want to know and be reminded daily about who You are and what Your character is like, Your person and Your purpose. And we pray, God, that we would know each day our daily bread and that we would learn contentment and that our aspirations in life would be God-driven and not worldly-centered and focused. And then we pray that we would be free to love, free to love, free to love you and free to love each other as we learn to receive and, and to apply the forgiveness that you have placed in our lives so that our relationships with one another would be whole and wholesome and right. We know they're going to break at times. We know there's going to be ruptures in our relationships that help us to be willing to do the work that we need to see those repaired and restored. For your sake, Jesus, because your kingdom is growing and, and you want to grow your kingdom right here in Marin County in the Bay Area. It's been a long, 
long generations of prayer just for that reality. And we continue to pray that Your kingdom would extend and that Your fame would go into the hearts and minds of the people right around us, the people we work with and the people we see in the streets of our neighborhoods and outside our apartments and at the schoolyard and the parking lot of our businesses. God, these are the people that You desire to extend Your kingdom and You want to do it through our lives and through this church. So help us in every way we need to to align ourselves with You. And we pray it in the name of Jesus, the One who taught us to pray. Amen. Amen. We are going to sing a rushing wind yet again as an opportunity just to sing a song of reflection.